Thank you very much for that message through music. We need that reminder a lot. If you would, go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter 22. I've already kind of told you what we would be looking at this morning as we look at probably what is the most recognizable story in all of Numbers of Balak and Balaam, and then of Balaam and his donkey, the donkey that talks. And so we're going to be looking at this story together. We're not going to be just looking at the story of the donkey, though. We're also going to be going into chapters 23 and 24 and looking at what happens after that, what happens with Balaam, and uh, what does he say there, Uh, and how does God work through this pagan prophet? How does he work through a man whose heart is set on doing anything he can for money? And so we're going to start, though, in chapter 22, just looking at how we, how we get to this point. You'll remember that last week we had a transition point of a new era. There's a new generation that has come in And they have, uh, in many ways, uh, stepped into the forefront now of the nation of Israel. They rebelled like their parents. They, They got into tough times and they fell back into what they had been taught. But they saw the error of their ways. They confessed it before Moses. And like I said last week, you see them still make mistakes, but they're different. You can just tell the change. Last week, we also saw them have three victories over their enemies and over opponents that came against them. And, it, and it just, it's just a different feel right now for the nation of Israel. Things are headed in the right direction because Israel, this new generation, has figured out that it's not enough just to be Israel. You have to be obedient. And so they are walking in the right direction. And at this point, they are encamped across the Jordan from the promised land. They can see the finish line in some ways. They can see across the river and see into the promised land. And so they are waiting on God's word to say go. But in the meantime, they are in this spot and and just north of Moab waiting for God's word to let them and release them to go in and to take the land. That's where we find the people of Israel in chapter 22. So if you would, hopefully you found it by now, if you would, that we may honor the reading of God's word. If you would stand, we're going to read just the opening part, just the introduction of this great story in God's word. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zephor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zephor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, 
to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he who, whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we as a people, we as a people need to be reminded of your word. Lord, we have forgetful minds and forgetful hearts. And Lord, we face a fallen world every day and we see the things that are hard. We experience things that grieve us, things that cause us pain. And Lord, at times we feel like there is a target painted on our chest. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of your power. That you would remind us of who we are. That you would remind us of your plan and your victory that you have won. Lord, that we may take solace in those things that we may celebrate in those things. Father, I pray, use your word in a way that only you can. We pray this in the beautiful, holy, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Our first slide, as we begin to begin this sermon this morning, the title of it is, Who is the Donkey? Because as you read through the story of Balaam, kind of begs the question of who really is the donkey. Who's the one that really understands what's happening here? Because as we look at Balaam, we begin to wonder, the farther we go in the story, if he really understands all that he claims to. We begin to really question who he is and what his character looks like. And yet we have this animal whom we so often like to make fun of, We have this animal see the truth of what is going on in front of him or her. And so, as we go through this beginning part of this story, I want you to to really begin to to really take apart this story a little bit. To really begin to think about how, how would you react? How would you, what questions would you have? What would you take away from this situation? Because I think when we begin to do that, we begin to understand what God is doing here a little better. I think we begin to understand Balaam a little better. So as we begin this story, at the beginning of chapter 22, the Moabites, especially their king Balak, are afraid. And that fear leads to a request. That fear leads to a request. They have just seen, they have just seen Israel take down two kings, two nations that had already defeated them. Cyan and Og had already come in, and they had defeated the Moabites before. And now the Moabites look, and this other people who have come out of Egypt, kind of out of nowhere in some ways, this people that are so many that they can't even begin to number them. They have come in and they have resoundingly defeated 
these other two nations that had already defeated Moab. And so Moab begins to think, <coughs> excuse me, Moab begins to think, man, if they beat, if Israel beat them, what are they going to do to us? What are they going to do to us? And so they make a request, they send off for Balaam. Now Balaam, we're told, is not a Moabite. He is from the north. He is from closer to the river Euphrates. Why send for him? Well, Balak tells us a little bit there at the end of what we read. It says there in verse 6, For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now in this time, like when we think about cursing someone now, we think, oh, you just think bad thoughts about them, but it doesn't really maybe impact their lives. But in this time period, that was not true. Blessings and cursings carried real weight, and people believed that they carried real consequences. And so Balak calls to Balaam from another country and says, look, I've heard of you, I know about you, and I know that what you say comes true, and so I want you to come down and do a favor for me. Now, the interesting thing about Balaam is that we have evidence outside of Scripture. We have different tablets and other finds that have the name of Balaam recorded. He was an international superstar. He was well known. This isn't just some passing fancy that we read about here in chapter 22. This guy had name recognition. He was on first name basis with people of the time. He was no minor character. And so Balak sends out for Balaam, and he sends him a great envoy of people for them to go to Balaam and say, we're going to give you all this money if you will come down. And we see Balaam confronted with money. Now the first envoy goes and they they say, we're going to pay you all this money for you to come down and to curse Israel for us. And Balaam says, let me go to the Lord. And so he goes to the Lord and he asks if he's going to do this. And the Lord says, don't go because I've blessed them. And so Balaam comes back and he says, sorry, boys, it's not going to work out. You're going to have to go home empty handed. But something in his tone, something in maybe just in their own imagination, maybe in their fear, when they go back to Balak and they tell him the response of Balaam, Balak says, okay, I'm going to send more. And he sends an even glitzy, more glamorous envoy. And he sends an offer of basically whatever Balaam wants. And he says, okay, now will you come down and curse? And Balaam says, well, let me go ask again. And this is the first sign that we have that Balaam is not maybe who we first read him to be. When you first read this story, Especially when I read it as a child, I read through this story and I read about Balaam and I think, oh, Balaam's not that bad a guy, right? Balaam is a prophet. Balaam goes to the Lord and the Lord responds to him. Like, I don't know about you, but in my prayer life, God doesn't always just answer the moment I ask. Like, but Balaam, man, he goes and boom, the Lord says, here you go, don't go. Or go, but know that you're going to have to bless. Or for that matter, I mean... Balaam gets a talking donkey. My cat has never once said a word to me. Like, you think, man, Balaam might, man, he's in touch with God. But this second prayer is our first, our first glimpse that, man, maybe Balaam's not all we think he is. 
when you were growing up, did you ever go to your parents and say, hey, can I do this? And their response was no. And then later you thought, oh, I'll ask again. How'd that work out for you? In my experience, it doesn't work out well. In fact, it usually comes back with the response of my mom sitting here. But it comes back with the response of don't ask me again. Have you ever had that? Balaam had asked once, should I go? And the response was, don't do it. I've already blessed them. But now these guys come back and they are offering so much more. There's so much more money on the line that Balaam can't resist. And he says, okay, now can I go? You see, Balaam has no concern over who gets blessed and who gets cursed. Balaam has no concern over what really happens to anybody else. Balaam's concern is with money. Balaam's concern is with himself. The best, and I'm, I'm stealing from so many, so many other pastors that are better than I am, but the best commentary on Scripture is other, com, is other Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is other Scripture. And as you look through the rest of the Old Testament, and as you look through the New Testament even, Balaam doesn't come out so good. Moses in Deuteronomy condemns Balaam. Joshua in the book of Joshua <laughs> condemns Balaam and says that he died a death befitting one that chased after spirits and omens. We see even in the New Testament, we see in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter calls out Balaam and says that he was a man that desired to make money off of evil. And so the rest of the scripture speaks to us and says, Balaam's not a good guy in this story. Balaam is after money and he will do whatever it will take. Now, that doesn't mean that Balaam doesn't hold some power. Scripture also gives us a clear picture that the evil one, Satan, has some power right now. That there is some power in demons. That there is some power in the spirits. That there are some power in omens. But it is not the power. And it is limited and it is temporary. Balaam had some true power. That doesn't make him good. We're reminded of what James tells folks. You believe in Christ? Congratulations. Thank you. The demons believe and shudder. That doesn't make you a believer. It doesn't make you a child of God. Balaam believes in the Lord. Balaam goes to the spirits. That doesn't make him good in this story. Balaam had a problem with money. And you're going to see it throughout this story in everything he does. So Balaam goes and he asks. And something interesting here happens. He asks for the second time and God says, go, but understand you're going to only do what I tell you to do. You're going to bless them. You're not going to curse them. In other words, you're not going to make the money you think you're going to make. You're being paid to curse. You're, not, you're going to go down there and you're not going to be able to do it. So why go? That's the point of God's response. But all Balaam hears is what? You can go. I mean, this is just like a child, right? Like, all, he only hears what he wants to hear. All he hears is, you can go. He doesn't hear the implication of, you can go, but understand, it's not going to be for the purpose that you think. It's, it's a pointless trip. The next thing that we see in our, in our passage is Balaam is going, but God is mad at him. 
It says there in verse 22 of chapter 22, but God's anger was kindled because he went, because Balaam went. Okay, so now we have another issue. What's going on here? Is God changing his mind? No, not at all. Not at all. God had told him not to go. God had told him that he could go, but that he wasn't going to be able to accomplish. In other words, saying it's pointless for you to go. And God sees the heart of Balaam and says and knows that Balaam is going so that he can curse. That's his intention. And God sees the sin there and he is angry at it. Not only that, but we need to understand that there are times that God removes his hand of restraint from evil men so that they can do what they want. This is a meeting place, one of many in Scripture, where God's sovereignty and man's choice come together. We have in Romans 1, 24 through 25, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires sinful impurity for, deg- for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Romans tells us there are times when God takes His hand off of evil men so that they may pursue the desires of their hearts. God told Balaam, go. He removes his hand from Balaam so that Balaam can pursue the evil desires of his heart. But it does not mean that God is condoning sin. It does not mean that God is okay with it. And so he stands, he puts an angel in the path. He stands before Balaam in anger knowing what's in Balaam's heart, knowing the rebellion, knowing the curse that is in Balaam's heart. And this is Balaam's final warning. And this is where we get to Balaam and the donkey. There's great irony here. We see Balaam riding along with his people. He's riding this donkey, and this donkey sees the angel. And the donkey tries to turn aside. You can imagine. Uh, I I don't know if you've ever been on a horse, but I've been on more than I would probably like to and I've been in the experience where the horse gets a mind of its own and all of a sudden we're not on the trail anymore we're in the field where I don't want to be or my head is in a tree branch where I don't want it to be it's aggravating it's frustrating and you're yanking on the horse to get it back on the trail and so you can imagine Balaam's on this donkey and this donkey's just going off to the right or to the left, it's stopping. At one point, the donkey uh, crushes Balaam's foot against maybe a rock wall that was lining the road. And Balaam's upset, and he is beating this donkey. He is cursing this donkey. I'm sure none of you have ever done that to an animal. I'm sure that I'm sure frustration and anger at an animal has never passed through your mind before. Mike is over there smiling. Balaam is had it with this donkey. And then something remarkable happens. In verse 28, it says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, Why have you, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Okay, I, I love this part. The donkey opens its mouth and says, why, why have you struck me? What have I done to you? And Balaam responds, Because you have made a fool of me, and I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Okay, now, if it was me and the donkey opened its mouth, my response would not be, because you have done this. I think it would be like, wait a minute, you can talk? 
We don't see that out of Balaam. Makes you wonder if Balaam had talked to this donkey before. But Balaam doesn't have this shocked reaction. Instead, he, he, he tells what's on his heart, which would be probably what's on most of our hearts, that this animal was driving him nuts. And the donkey's response is great. The donkey says, am I not your donkey? Have you not been on me your whole life? Have you not ridden me your whole life? Is it my habit to treat you this way? Is this normal for me? And I love the King James Version, by the way. If you have a King James Version Bible, uh, Balaam's response to a donkey is nay. Now, it's N-A-Y, but still, the person that was translating that version had a sense of humor, okay? Nay, no, you have not ever treated me that way. That's, that's t- this is totally out of character. And it's like the donkey, like, look, I could just have imagine this donkey looks at him and is like, yeah, so you think maybe something's up? I've never treated you this way before. So do you think maybe you should figure it out? There is great irony here, by the way, that the spirit guy, the one that's supposed to be a prophet, the one that's supposed to be in touch with greater powers, the one that's supposed to be able to see all this stuff in the future, the one that's supposed to curse and bless and do all this stuff, the international superstar of spiritual matters can't see the angel, but his donkey can. There's great irony there. Great irony there. So God, he experiences this thing with the donkey and God opens Balaam's eyes and Balaam finally sees the angel and now it's like, oh. Things get real serious real quick and Balaam's like, uh, what's going on? And God explains, I'm not real happy with you right now. And he says, do you want me to go back? God says, no, you're going to go on now. You're going to go down, but remember, this is his final warning. Remember, you are going to say what I tell you. Go with the men, but speak only the word which I tell you. Verse 35. This is Balaam's final warning. You're going to go now. You're going to go, but you're going to speak blessing. Know that you're not going to get the reward you think. And so Balaam goes with the men. He goes down to meet Balak. It's a good reminder here, by the way. It's not, not a main point this morning, but it's a good reminder that You and I make mistakes all the time, right? We sin. But God uses everything we do. He uses it. He has plans that can't be thwarted by our mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean we should sin and go, ah, well, God will make up for it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it's amazing that God uses even the worst of our mistakes for his glory and his plan. So Balaam goes on. He goes on and he meets Balak and Balak travels a considerable amount of distance to meet Balaam at the, the line, at the uh, border of the country of Moab. And he says, here, let's, let's forget all the formalities. Let's just go and I want to show you this people and let's get this cursing on. Let's get started. And so in verse 23, or sorry, chapter 23, they go to this place and Balaam is shown part of the people of Israel. Now, I need to have you skip forward just a little bit because I want to point out something. In chapter 24, we're given some insight that we really needed in chapter 23. In 24, it says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but he set his face towards the wilderness. So what does that imply for chapter 23? It implies that Balaam, though he had been told multiple times, 
You are going to bless the people of Israel. God has blessed the people of Israel. It's not until two oracles later that Balaam says, okay, this isn't worth trying anymore. We're just going to bless Israel and be done with it. Like, he is still looking in these first two instances. He is still looking for omens. He is still trying to appease the spirits to find a workaround so that he can curse Israel and get paid. And if you're the people of Israel reading this story and you see the sacrifices that are made, you see the Balaam is looking for omens, you would be reminded of the law where omens are strictly forbidden, where it's like, don't mess with those things. And you would understand here, Balaam is a bad dude. Balaam's not a good character here. But he has, he has Balak build these altars, make these sacrifices. He's looking for omens. He's looking for the way around. And he comes toe-to-toe with God, and God puts in his mouth not a curse, but a blessing. Let's look at the first one together. There in chapter 23, verse 7, it says, Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come and and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For, For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Three things that we see in this blessing. We're going to go fast through these. First, we see God's sovereignty. We see God's sovereignty. Balaam is this international spiritual rock star and he has come on the request of Balak to curse. And he looks around and he says, I can't do it. God has already made a decision. God's sovereignty is not only over the nation of Israel. God's rule and power is not only over the nation of Israel. It is over international International powers, it is over nations, it is over all of history. Balaam says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Not only that, but he calls Israel a special people. He says there in verse 9, Behold, a people dwelling alone, not counting itself from among the nations. In other words, they're different from all of us. They are different from all of us. Now, we know why. Balaam does not tell us here, but we know it's because the Lord is with them, because the Lord has put his hand upon them. But he says they are special people. The third thing that we see here that's just so interesting is we see a promise fulfilled. The dust of Jacob. There in chapter 10, or sorry, verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? That That phrase there, the dust of Jacob, that's not an accident that the Lord put there. I'll recall your mind to Abraham and the promises that God made to him in Genesis 13, 16. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. God here is reminding 
the people of Israel. He's reminding all of the nations that he had made a promise to Israel that he would make them a great and numerous nation. And now we have those very words played out as Balaam looks at the people and calls them the dust of Jacob. God's promise fulfilled. God's sovereignty, God's special people, the promise fulfilled. Well, they get to the end of this first blessing. And of course, Balak is mad. Balak's like, that did not go at all like we planned. Like we paid for a cursing and you're blessing them. So, okay, stop. Let's go to another spot. Maybe, maybe the location's not right. And so they go to another spot. And again, Balak uh, is told by Balaam to make offerings. And Balaam's again, Balaam's wanting this money. He's trying to... Please the spirits. He's looking for omens. He's trying to figure this out. And yet again, yet again, God puts a word of blessing in his mouth and not a word of cursing. It says, rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and not and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, their God, is with them and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob. There is no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people, a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion it lifts itself up. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Three more things. We left off in the first blessing with the promise of God fulfilled. We pick that back up about God's promises. God's promises are sure. He says that God is not like man. When he speaks a word, it is true and it is unchanging. He is putting Balak on notice. I have made a promise to Israel that they will have a land that is theirs. I have promised them conquest. I have promised them safety and it will happen. His promises are sure, and no one can change his plan. No one can change his plan. Remember, Balaam is supposed to be the superstar. Remember what Balaam said, what Balak said at the beginning? Balak said, I know to Balaam, I know that you who he you who you curse is cursed. You who you bless is blessed. In other words, you're the one that has this power. But Balak here says, or sorry, Balaam here says, No, no, no. I can't, I can't undo the blessing of God on this people. I can't undo the blessing when God has done it. He says in verse 23, For there's no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Remember we said that sometimes the powers of evil, they have some power, but it is limited. It is not the power. Egypt figured this out. Pharaoh figured this out. You can't go toe-to-toe with God. You're not going to win that battle. Balaam had wanted the money so bad that he thought he could go toe-to-toe with God. And God is winning this in a rout. 
you can't change his plan. You can't change who he is. And then we see God as king. It must have been a little bit odd for the enemies of Israel to look at Israel and go, okay, who exactly is in charge again? Because a king leads in battle. A king is out there in front. But there wasn't really, I mean, Joshua was a little bit, but then you had this other guy named Moses who seemed to be in charge. So who really was in charge here? Who really is the king? Who really is calling the shots? Because we're going to take him out. There wasn't a king. God was their king. He's the one. He is the Lord their God is with them. And then when he says the shout of a king comes out, that shout of a king there in verse 21, that's the shout of the Lord. He is their king. He is the one that is with them. He is the one that is their protector. He is the one calling the shots. So Balak, again, paid for a cursing and once again is thwarted. Balaam cannot speak a word of cursing. He speaks a word of blessing. I love Balak's response here, by the way. In verse 25, Balak says to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. It's like, shut your mouth. Like, if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. And yet he is so desperate, he's so scared. He's like, okay, third time's a charm, let's do this. So he takes him to another place and he says, okay, try this again. You're gonna do this again. But this time, remember what we read in, earlier in about, about verse 20, or chapter 24? This time, Balaam's like, ah, no. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to look for an omen. I'm not even going to try to curse this people. Like, let's just get this over with. I'm obviously not getting paid today. Let's just go. So he sets his face towards the wilderness. And he lifted up his eyes. And he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And this is the only part where he finally gives in. And there's a point here that we are not going to preach on. He finally gives in to God. And he says, okay, God, we're going to do this this way. And this is the only time this line is recorded. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. He finally gives in. He finally obeys. And this is the only place that that line's recorded. Whole another sermon there that we're not getting into. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and seed shall be in many waters." His king shall be higher than Agag. His kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Balaam gives in and says, here it is. God's care for Israel is complete. He, over and over you get this image of trees and plants, gardens planted by water sources where they can thrive and live. That is the picture of God's care for Israel. He has planted them by the water. He has planted them where they can thrive. We see God's protection of Israel, God's care for Israel, God's protection of Israel. He is the one that has brought them out of Egypt. Verse 8, 
He brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox. He is their protector. He is the one that will watch out for them. Nothing will happen without his say-so. And then I love how this ends. It started with God's sovereignty and it ends with God's sovereignty. Verse 9, blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Notice it is a direct correlation to what Balak said about Balaam. Remember? Going back to 22, we've already mentioned it several times. Going back to 22, verse 6, he tells him to come because he knows, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. The whole point of this story is that God is in control. God is sovereign. Man would like to think that he can go against God, that he can go toe-to-toe. The spirits and the forces of evil would like to think that they have a chance. But at the end, all Balaam can say is, you are the one with the power. You are the one who blesses and who curses, not me. I don't stand a chance. We start with God's sovereignty and we end with God's sovereignty. Balaam, of course, gets to the end of all this and Balak has had it. He tells him to go home. Get out of my sight. Go home. I'll I'll deal with this on my own. Like that stands a chance. Go home. But Balaam Balaam looks at him and says, one more thing. Hold on. If we're here, we might as well say it. And he goes on to give one final word. One final word. He says, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye... The oracle of whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, shall break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir shall also, his enemy shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing violently, not violently, violently. Sorry, not doing well with English. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked at Amalek and took up his discourse again and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. One final word. Balaam says, they're going to win this battle but you wait until the king comes. The king is coming. Now, Balaam here is speaking specifically of David. He's speaking specifically of King David. David is coming. The kingdom is coming with him. Not only is there a coming king, but there's a future kingdom. 
You think that Israel is going to conquer now. You wait till God raises up the star. You wait till he raises up the scepter. And then all of Israel's enemies truly will be destroyed. And that kingdom will be like anything, unlike anything you have seen. So he tells of David, he tells of the future kingdom, and then he tells of the destruction of Israel's enemies. It's kind of an odd, awkward way to end, but this is in effect what Balaam is saying. There's going to be a few of you nations who have cursed Israel. There's going to be a few of you nations out there who have been his enemy, have been the enemy of Israel, and your end is not going to come by the hand of Israel, and you're going to be tempted to think that God wasn't involved, that you were spared. Uh, No. God had a hand in that. God had a hand in that too. Don't think that just because someone else destroyed you that it was not God who was a part of that. He ordained that as well. We have this incredible story, and we're running out of time, but we have this incredible story. Balaam is this superstar. Balaam decides that he is going to take the money and do whatever it takes to get it. And then he meets the Lord Almighty and everything's flipped on its head. And God shows for all his people, I am sovereign. I am your protection. I am everything. So what's our example here? You know, we live in a time, like I said, I prayed earlier, we live in a time of difficulty. We live in a time of of, at, that causes us pain at times. We at times live in a, in a culture where we feel like we have a target on ourselves, where everything seems like it's going upside down. The story of Balaam reminds us of God's sovereignty. It reminds us of God's sovereignty. It reminds us that he has called us his children and that he is still in control. It reminds us of God's victory. The victory, brother and sister, has already been won on the cross. We're still fighting a fight. We're still fighting the battle. But the victory has already been bought and paid for. We have nothing to fear. We know the outcome. The king has come and is coming again. Balaam spoke of David, but we as believers look at this passage and we cannot help but say, Christ is coming. The star of Jacob will rise. He has come and he is coming again. And we cannot help but be reminded of God's kingdom. We see God's sovereignty, his power. We see the victory and are reminded of the victory. And we are reminded of his kingdom, of his rule and reign that will go on forever. I know that I've read this passage before, but as I came to the end of Numbers, I thought of Romans 8. Chapter 3 or verse 31 through 39. What shall we say about one such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse God? Who, who dares accuse God? Us whom he has chosen for his own. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading 
for us? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or danger or, in, or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If we see nothing else from Balaam, let us be reminded of who we are. And who our God is. The victory has been won. The kingdom is coming. Yes, we may fear. Yes, there may be times that we suffer. But it has not separated us from his love. It does not separate us from who he has called us to be. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Father, you choose foolish things to get your point across. Lord, we think about a story that has a talking donkey. Lord, we see your humor in that. We see the irony in that. And Lord, we think about how silly it is. But Lord, we see this great point. We see this great reminder that no matter no matter what the schemes of man may be, no matter the powers that may resist against your kingdom and against us, no matter no matter what we may face, nothing, nothing can separate us from you. Nothing can separate from the blessing that you have already declared on your children. Father, I pray that this week that we would walk in light of that. Lord, help us to not live defeated, but help us to live boldly for the King. Lord, I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to worship you with everything that we are, knowing who we are. We pray this in your name. Amen.